we've got, um, I think, a great follow-on from there now. So Olga Petriniak, um, who is the Senior Director for Global Resilience at Mercy Corps. Um, she has 15 years of experience in climate change adaptation, natural resource management, market systems development, inclusion, and governance. And she, uh, in, this, in her capacity at Mercy Corps, she provides strategic oversight, thought leadership, and technical excellence across Mercy Corps' portfolio of resilience initiatives. So thank you, Olga. Uh, thanks. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here. <laughs> So based on the wide body of evidence, including some of our own, that really connects up financial inclusion to resilience, at Mercy Corps, we have been increasingly, increasingly intentional in how we support financial services in our programming, how we, um, what kind of models we use in our programming in order to ensure that financial inclusion doesn't just work as a post-shock response mechanism, but how it uh, catalyzes risk reduction um, and risk-reducing investments. And so I wanted to just quickly reflect on some of our program examples that speak to the various channels that were highlighted um, in the earlier presentation and acknowledge that one of the things that we're really seeing across the board is that intentionality in how we design these products um, is really critical and that often to work for resilience financial products really need to be um, access to financial services really needs to be combined with other uh, risk reducing uh, interventions um, so I first I just wanted to take you uh, quickly to our work in Ethiopia where um, the semi-arid and uh, arid lands there a lot of you may be familiar with this uh, context um, but historically holding on to large herds and livestock have been an informal sort of so, uh, safety net uh, for uh, pastoral households who rely on livestock both for uh, social identity um, and, and livelihoods this is sort of a low yield low return um, but a low risk model in these contexts Context. And as we see that drought is increasing in frequency and severity, uh, some of our program there tries to work with the households to shift those models into higher yield, higher productivity, um, and higher risk, and to catalyze investment in the sector to make um, these pastoral households more resilient to drought, because currently they're losing a huge amount of these livestock herds, and many of them are being thrown out of pastoralism as a result. So a big part of this model is um, around financial, financial service access. So in addition to supporting markets for livestock, um, a big part of, part of this model is around building um, financial, a financial services industry that really catalyzes an improved livestock sector. Um, and we focused on this at two levels. One is supporting, um, we've worked with the local governments in the Somali region to introduce the first microfinance institution there um, and supported that microfinance institution and specifically developing a series of products uh, to provide enterprise and trader credit, savings, money transfers, through a mobile system. Um, and a lot of this is really geared towards expanding the types of products that uh, local pastoral households can use to increase um, livestock productivity. At the same time, sort of at a local level, this is connected to um, local financials and savings groups um, that are supported through uh, private service providers. So not through a traditional model, but, but through people from their own community. Um, so we've worked with both the MFI on Sharia compliant loans to catalyze the livestock industry as well as with local groups to really connect those up. Um, 
350,000 individuals in this context have received financial service access, have opened up savings accounts, but really what I wanted to show is that while there's a theory that this supports resilience, the proof is really in the pudding. And our research in this context has shown, um, both our research and, re and external evaluations have shown that um, households that have received this uh, financial inclusion support, along with other interventions, were able to maintain food security in the face of one of the worst droughts in 2016, um, and households who did not have the benefit of those integrated interventions and those financial inclusion models um, declined in food security severely. The other model that I wanted to speak to is around how investments in financial services can really reduce exposure um, to risk um, and how financial services can support that. And here I wanted to take you to Nepal where we see annual flooding uh, essentially eroding uh, viable agricultural land. And so we wanted to see how we could support market-based solutions that both supported livelihoods and reduced this disaster risk. And sugarcane turned out to be one of these viable sectors of investment because it has the ability to, uh, to basically protect riverbanks and there was a high market demand for it as well. Um, these were the key investments that basically stimulated the sugarcane market, um, but it, it was a combination of interventions related to risk awareness and preparedness, partnering with the private sector um, on these sugarcane investments, but financial inclusion, including literacy and promoting emergency savings, were a core component of this programming. Um, one thing that we've seen as a result is that you will notice that the investments of um, farmers themselves along this blue line as a result of these savings products um, really grew and they, they had much more um, increased sell, uh, investment by their, on, um, their own investment in the sugarcane market. And again, the proof is in the pudding. What we've seen is that relative to households that had not received these models, um, we saw that, well, let me rephrase that. So households that had received this, this integrated package that included financial services um, uh, and the support to sugarcane markets had uh, a savings rate, of uh, savings rate of more than 20% relative to groups that had not received it. And they used the savings to respond to episodes of flooding more. Um, and we also did a post-flood evaluation that showed that this comprehensive package meant that these households relied less on fewer negative coping strategies and lost fewer crops as a result. So the final example, I think I have just about a minute, um, is we, I'm, I'm actually taking us back in time a little bit, but this is now speaks to sort of how do we respond using financial services when a shock hits. And I wanted to take us back to Typhoon Haiyan um, in the Philippines back in 2013. But our approach there really try to take best practices in cash transfer mechanisms and supporting digital cash transfer mechanisms and try to see if that could ultimately link to long-term financial inclusion. So we partnered with a local um, micro um, lending institution, micro savings bank, sorry, um, and to deliver unconditional cash transfers to uh, typhoon affected populations through a mobile wallet. We tried different models and different amounts and combined this with different types of financial literacy um, programs to try to see what really works best. Um, I think the takeaway here is that 
we didn't really see any long-term benefit on financial inclusion of the digital package itself. People didn't really continue to save um, in that mobile wallet over time, which kind of begs the research question of how do we promote financial inclusion through digital transfers and post-shock mechanisms. Um, but we did see that by promoting sort of sorry, by promoting a kind of financial literacy curriculum over time, that that did increase savings behavior, but not necessarily in that digital package. Um, I think these are just some, I want to cut to close with these outstanding questions that we have, just based on um, how we think we could um, continue to take the research agenda forward in partnership with IPA. These are some of the critical areas that we're looking at. Just as I mentioned before, we're really interested in what conditions and design features promote um, transition from digital payments to financial inclusion. How can we better design key products to have um, resilience effects on diverse populations? And really starting to look more at the po policy and regulatory environment and how that environment can really catalyze risk-reducing investments more broadly. I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you.